0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 22. Scripture reading this morning is again going to be Luke 22, verses 7 through 22, the same verses that we looked at last week. But this morning, our focus is going to be on verse 22 at the very end of the passage. If you're using one of uh, the Pew Bibles, you will find Luke 22, 7 Uh, in this passage beginning on page 881. Luke 22, beginning at verse 7. This is the very Word of God. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they went and found it, just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table, and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, The cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me. Is with me, on the table, for the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man, by whom he is betrayed. That is the reading of God's word. Let us pray and ask for His blessing upon the preaching of His word here this morning. Father God, we come before You this morning humbly asking for Your blessing. This is Your word, living. It is that imperishable seed by which we have been born again, and it is the spiritual milk by which we will grow up in our salvation. And so we ask and pray that you remember your promise here this morning and not allow this word to return to you void, but Father, that you would cause it to bring forth an abundant harvest in our lives to the praise of your glorious grace. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Last Sunday, in our study of these verses, we saw that Jesus used the Passover meal and the events that it commemorated. He he used the Passover to teach His disciples the significance of the events that were about to unfold. Remember, in the very near future, Jesus will be betrayed by one of His own. He will then be falsely condemned by the Jewish authorities and unjustly executed by the Roman powers. Jesus knows that all this is going to happen. Moreover, He knows why all this is going to happen. He knows that He goes to the cross as the Passover Lamb of God. He, he knows that He goes to give His life As the ransom for many. But at the same time, he also knows that his disciples don't yet know. He understands that they don't yet understand. They they don't understand what is about to take place. The events that are about to unfold will leave them bewildered and confused. And so Jesus uses this final Passover meal with His disciples to explain to them one last time the reason for and the significance of the events that are about to unfold, His impending betrayal, condemnation, and death. And it is in the climax of that teaching, that teaching which we considered last Sunday, it is in the the climax of that teaching that Jesus makes the statement that will be our primary focus this morning. Look again at verse 22. In the midst of teaching them about the the significance of his death, Jesus says these words. He says, For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. In case we miss the point, Matthew and Mark tell us that he went on to say, it would have been better for that man if he had never been born. And so on the one hand, everything that is about to happen is going to happen according to the definite plan of God. Everything that is about to happen is going to happen in perfect accord with the counsel of his will. It's not just that Jesus knows what is going to happen. Sometimes we know that something is going to happen and there's nothing that we can do about it. And so we we resign ourselves to the fact. But that's not what is going on here. Jesus knows, is more than knowing what is going to happen. It's it's more than that he is resigned to the inevitable. He is the eternal Son of God and as such he is in control. He is sovereign. But on the other hand, Judas will be held responsible for what he is about to do. That Jesus is in control, that that things are going to unfold according to to God's plan, does not mean that Judas is somehow off the hook. No, he, he is still responsible for his choices. He is still responsible for his actions. So Judas is responsible, and at the same time, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. This is the clear and consistent teaching of of Scripture. Peter will will say the same thing in one of his sermons recorded in the book of Acts. He, He will say that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. And then in the same breath, he will say that he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It's not either or. It's both and. And as we dealt with this text last week, I couldn't deal with this particular subject, but it was so important I felt like I had to come back to it because this is one of the great mysteries of Scripture. We see it here in microcosm. We see it here in in Jesus' betrayal that these things happen according to the definite plan of God, and those who betray Him are responsible for their choices. It's one of the great mysteries. One of the, the great mysteries of Scripture is this relationship between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Because Scripture clearly teaches both. Scripture clearly teaches that God is absolutely sovereign over all things. And at the same time, Scripture clearly teaches that man is a free and responsible moral agent who makes real choices and will be held responsible for those choices. Man is responsible and God is sovereign. It's not one or the other, it's both. But there's a problem. The problem is that that we can't comprehend this. We we can't get our our minds around it. We can't understand how both are true at the same time. It is simply beyond the capacity of our little brains. Our finite minds cannot hold the two truths together. They, They seem to us to be mutually exclusive, and so they're affirming both seems to us to be contradictory. And let me just tell you up front this morning, I'm not going to resolve that tension. I'm not going to explain to you how this works. I'm not going to give you the key to some secret knowledge. It will be just as mysterious when we are done here this morning as it is right now. But there are some things we need to see. First, we we need to understand that because Scripture teaches both, we must affirm both. That Scripture must be our authority. That's where we will will begin. But, we don't stop there. This morning, I also want you to see why it is good and necessary to affirm both. You see, throughout history, people have have erred in both directions. Some, in order to preserve God's sovereignty, have, have denied man's Freedom. Others, in order to preserve man's freedom, have, have denied God's sovereignty. But, but both errors actually stem from the same root. Both errors are the result of allowing our finite minds to be the final arbiter of truth. We say with our lips that the Bible is our final authority. We we say that the Bible is our authority in all questions of, of faith and practice. Think for a moment what that means. What does it mean to say that the Bible is our authority in questions of faith and practice? It means that the Bible gets to tell us what we are to do, that's practice, So it it tells us how we are to to live, it tells us what is right and what is wrong, it tells us those actions that we are to, to avoid, it tells us those responsibilities that we are to fulfill. The Bible is our rule in practice. It's also our rule in faith. It means it gets to tell us what to believe. It means it gets to tell us what is true. It means that we must submit to him. When God says this is how it is, we take him at his word. We lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge him. This is what we confess. But functionally, we, we find it hard to believe that which we cannot comprehend. And so that functionally, in the, in the course of our day-to-day lives, in, in real life as they say, We we live as if our minds were what determined what was true and what was false. And I want you to see this morning that that's wrong. That's that's simply wrong. It's not that we, we affirm what we believe. It's not that we affirm what we comprehend. We affirm what God tells us is true, And because Scripture teaches us that that God is both sovereign and man is responsible, we affirm both. But why? Why is it so important in the course of our daily lives to, to take God at his word? That's what I want you to see this morning. Not only that you must because God says it, There's a point when when you're raising your children that you simply say to them, because I said so. I can remember Ted Tripp saying, that's a great answer for a two-year-old. If you're still giving that answer to your 12-year-old, it's probably a problem. By the time they're 12, 13, 14, you you need to move on to helping them to understand why you require them to do what they do. You want them to to be prepared to make good decisions, to make God-honoring decisions in their life as they they grow up. It's one thing to tell a two-year-old, because I said so, you're not still saying that to a 12-year-old or to a 22-year-old. To a and so again, we say, well, why, why is it important for us to take God at his word? And that's what I want us to see this morning. So let's begin with why is it important? Why is it important for us to affirm God's sovereignty? Why is that so vital? Why is that so crucial to the lives that we have been called to live? Well, I want you to see is that it is important for us, it is vital for us to to affirm God's sovereignty, to affirm that that God works all things without exception according to the counsel of His will. It is important for us to, to affirm that because His sovereignty is the ground of your hope. His sovereignty is the ground of the good news Without His sovereignty, the gospel is put at risk. God has said that those who call upon the name of the Lord will never be put to shame. That's what was read this morning in our assurance of pardon. As we come before Him confessing our sins, we can do that boldly because He has said, those who call upon my name will never be put to shame. God has said that that whosoever believes in my Son will not perish but have eternal life. And we stake our eternal destinies on that promise. God has said that He will work all things together for the good of those who love Him. He has, has promised that the fires and the floods that are sure to come that those fires and those floods will refine and cleanse, but they will not destroy, because He will be with us. These are His promises. These are His words. But why in the world should we believe such outlandish promises? Let's admit it. These are over-the-top promises. These are promises too good to be true. Didn't anybody ever tell you that if someone promises you something too good to be true, you should probably not believe it? Why then should we believe such outlandish promises? When you are in the midst of the pain, when the suffering is at its most intense, When the darkness seems impenetrable, why should you believe that God is in control, working for the good of those who love Him? This past week, I spent several days with a group of pastors who are ministering in hard places. As they told their stories, I I could only imagine the pain of some of their situations. I've never been in a a situation like that. But, But I found myself wondering, why should they continue working in such places? Why should they answer God's call to get out of bed every morning and be a pastor in the place where He has put them? Maybe you're asking yourself that same question right now. You're in the middle of it right now. Or you've recently passed... Through it and you're exhausted and and you're wondering why should I keep going why should you believe that that God is working for your good why should you believe that the hope that you have in him is ultimately imperishable undefiled and unfading it's the right question it's a it's a good question And what you need to know when you find yourself in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death, what you need to know is that your hope is grounded in the sovereign love of God. A love demonstrated beyond reasonable doubt in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know exactly where you find yourself this morning, but I can guess it's probably painful. It's the way life works. We groan in this present evil age. Whatever you're going through right now, it's not perfect. It's not ideal, and it may be grossly out of joint. In the middle of that, in the the midst of that, your hope, my hope, our hope, is grounded in the sovereign love of God. First, it's, it's grounded in His love. Paul tells us in in Romans that Jesus' death is the ultimate, irrefutable demonstration of God's love. God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died. When we were yet His enemies, Christ laid down His life as the ransom for our salvation. This is the assurance that God is for us, This is the assurance that, that God is, is working for our good. Think of what Paul says later in Romans chapter 8. If He did this, if, if He did not spare His own Son, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all good things? Do you believe that God is for you? Do you believe that, that He loves you? If you look at the circumstances of your life, you may find it hard to believe. If you, if you simply look at the immediate present, you, you may wonder. The, the circumstances we find ourselves in sometimes cause us to, to doubt. Your, your career is off track. Your, your marriage is broken. Your kids have, have rejected the faith or your body is breaking down prematurely. Someone you love is sick. Maybe someone you love is even died. And the list could go on. In such situations, it can be hard to believe that God loves you. That that simple children's song becomes almost untenable. But if that is where you are this morning, if you are doubting God's love, I want to call you to look to the cross there you will see His absolute commitment to your good. If God was willing to give His Son, you should not doubt His willingness to give you every good gift. You may not understand what He is doing. You may not enjoy what He is doing. But you can know that He loves you. And you can know that He desires your good. But here's what I want you to hear. It's not enough for God to love us. I know that sounds like blasphemy to some of you, but, but, but think about it. It's not enough. It's not enough for God simply to be willing. It's not enough for Him simply to desire your good. We often love and desire the good of another, but we lack the power to bring it about. Think of the mother whose child is sick. She loves. She loves deeply. She loves passionately. But her love is not enough to secure her child's good. To give true hope love must be joined with power and this is why god's sovereignty is so important god must not only desire our good he must not only will our good he must have the power to bring it about he must have the power to accomplish the good that he intends And this is why Luke is is so intent on showing us again and again that as Jesus goes to the cross, He goes to the cross on His own terms. Yes, He is betrayed. Yes, He will be killed. But His life is not taken from Him. He lays it down of His own accord. He goes Willingly, according to the definite plan of God. He is in control to the very end. And we see this not only in His approach to the cross, but we see it in the aftermath of the cross. For the final irrefutable proof of His control is the resurrection. Jesus goes to death, but it is simply not possible for death To hold Him. Why? Because He is the Sovereign Lord. Even over death. Even death must submit to His will. And therefore, not even death can thwart His purposes. And so, in Jesus' death and resurrection, we see clearly... That God has the power and the authority to make good on all His promises. He has the power and authority, indeed, to work all things together for the good of those who love Him. Even death must ultimately serve Him. And so, you see, that it is His sovereignty... That guarantees our assurance. It is sovereignty that that founds our hope. Without God's sovereignty, we are are left with with something more like wishful thinking. We are left with with Pollyanna optimism. Hoping and, and wishing that things will work out. But our hope is so much more than that. Our hope, biblical hope, Christian hope, is a hope that is grounded In the power and authority of the Sovereign Lord God Almighty. Our hope is that the Sovereign Lord of space and time, the Creator of, of heaven and earth, that He will work all things according to the counsel of His will, that the rightful King who governs all the actions of all His creatures all the time, without exception, that He is the One who has promised to work for our good. That He is the one who has promised that those who call on Him will never be put to shame. That's why we must see that He is sovereign. He is the one who is in control. It's where our hope is grounded. But of course, it's equally important that we see that that we are responsible It's not just that God is is sovereign. Remember, there, there are two truths here. God is sovereign and man is responsible. Judas will betray his master. This is his choice. And he will be held responsible for it. It's why Jesus says, Woe to the man by whom he is betrayed. It's important for us to see this because it reminds us That the choices we make regarding Jesus, the Passover lamb, the one who gives his life as the ransom for many, the choices we make regarding him matter. Not too long ago, I had a conversation with someone who was listening to a pastor on the radio, a pastor who, who professed to be reformed, whom she called a Calvinist. And she she thought it was odd that this reformed Calvinist pastor was talking so much about the importance of, of daily denying yourself to follow Jesus. You see, in her mind, Calvinists believe in God's sovereignty, which of course we do. But in her mind, believing in God's sovereignty meant denying man's responsibility. And therefore, in her mind, because a, a Calvinist believes in God's sovereignty, he or, or she should not believe it matters what people actually do. If God is going to save someone, he's going to save them. If he's not going to save someone, he's, he's not going to save them. What they do or don't do simply doesn't matter. That's what she thought we And so she found it odd that a pastor would be calling on people to deny themselves and follow Jesus. Maybe maybe you've encountered people who think this way. Maybe you yourself have have struggled with this way of of thinking. Paul certainly encountered this sort of logic in his own day. We see this in, in Romans chapter 9. Addressing an imagined opponent, Paul writes, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? Think about what Paul's saying. He's he's saying that if God is sovereign, even in salvation, then how can he hold man responsible for his choices? How can God still find fault with him? It's a fair question. It's it's a fair question because, as I said, our little brains simply cannot comprehend how both can be true but again, what does Paul do? He, he simply reminds us that our inability to comprehend does, does not make it false. This is the point he, he gets at when he says, who are you to talk back to God? That is an entirely unsatisfactory answer. He just says simply, well, do you decide what's true? Do you get to tell God what's true and, and what's false? No, he's God, you're not. Listen to him. He doesn't resolve the tension. He doesn't explain the mystery. He just says, God's God and you're not. And we must take Him at His word. We don't like it, but we must believe it. We must receive God's word because we see it here in the story of Jesus' betrayal. Jesus' betrayal, His crucifixion, it tells us that how we respond to Him matters. Because he said Judas would bear the guilt of his betrayal. and That's important because it calls us to make a choice. It calls us this morning to respond to Jesus in a way other than Judas. Remember what we saw last Sunday. Jesus purposely chose the Passover as the setting for for his last days because in the Passover we see a picture of what he is about to do. And remember what happens in the Passover. Even if you weren't here, you you probably remember the story. Jesus is about to bring his, his people out of Egypt. And the final plague before he accomplishes the exodus is that all the firstborn will die. Not just the firstborn of Egypt, but all the firstborn in the land. And the only way to escape that picture of God's final judgment is to come under the blood. To, to take the blood of the Passover lamb sacrificed in your place and to, to spread it upon the doorposts of your house and then to take sanctuary under the blood. There's a choice to be made. Will you come under the The blood. It's the same choice that we face this morning. Will we come under the blood? Because the judgment that was poured out on Egypt was simply a picture of the judgment that is coming. The judgment that that Jesus was talking about in chapter 21. The judgment that will come upon all on the face of the earth at the end of the age when all men will be called to account before their Maker. And on that day... You will, in your own merit, be justly deserving of wrath and condemnation. You have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and the only hope of escaping that judgment is that you come under the blood. Not by entering a physical house. Being in this room doesn't get you there. But coming under the blood by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, by receiving and resting upon Him alone for your salvation, by calling upon His name and acknowledging Him as your only hope, Jesus says, do that and you will live. Call upon Me and you will never be put to shame. But here's the thing, the decision matters. The decision Matters. Will you call upon him? Will you entrust yourself to him? Will you rest upon him? Will you come under the blood? Or will you go the way of Judas? Judas clung to his selfish ambition. Judas, Judas clung to his own interests. He, he clung to his life. And therefore, he lost it. If you follow his path, Jesus says, woe to you. But if, if by faith you come under the blood, Jesus, the the Passover lamb put forward by God as the sacrifice for your sins, if you come under his blood, if you receive and rest upon him alone for your salvation, and if you continue to cling to the crucified, then you will not perish, but you will have eternal life. That is God's promise. And it is a promise guaranteed by the sovereign power of the Lord God Almighty. And because such power guarantees such a promise, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we do rejoice in your goodness to us. And Father, we we rejoice that that goodness is a sovereign goodness. It is the goodness of the Lord God, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. It is the goodness of the sovereign King of space and time who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Father God, give us the grace to come to You in the name of Your Son this morning. Give us the grace to call upon Him. Give us the grace to entrust our lives to Him that we might know true life indeed. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.